Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now the pitch. Full swing and a drive to deep left. Rosario going back, looking up, and it is gone. Goodbye! A home run for Victor Robles. And now here in the bottom of the second inning, it's the Nationals 2 and the Braves nothing. The 0-2 pitch. Bring him up, strike three, called a curveball over the inside corner, locked him up at 70 miles an hour. Espino has two strikeouts in his third consecutive 1-2-3 inning. Paolo is fan five. He's ready and deals. And a swing and a line drive right field. Thomas drifting back, and it's over his head and to the fence off the wall. It'll score Swanson. It'll score Olsen. Harris racing for third. Hernandez throws in that direction, and it's not in time. And now the right-hander rocks and kicks. Here's the pitch, swinging a belt deep down the left field line. If this stays fair, it is gone. And it is a fair ball and a line shot home run. A tomahawk type swing for Acuna on a fastball. The Braves have hit back to back solo home runs here at the top of the fifth inning with two out. It's now Atlanta four and Washington two. The set, the 0 2. Swinging a long drive to left, forget about it. Acuna is going to watch this one fly out. He's still watching it as it lands about seven rows in and then bangs off an empty seat and ends up in left center field. And it's 7-2 to Atlanta. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Who says that the Nats are not playing meaningful games in late September for the Nats on Tuesday night and 8-2 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park in game two of a three-game series. The Nats now a major league worst 53-101. and The Braves now tied with the New York Mets atop the National League East. Each team is 97-58. and The NL East has by far the best division race in the majors this season. The Mets and Braves will play a three-game series in Atlanta this weekend. That is going to be some series. But for the Nats on Tuesday night, well, they got out homered by the Braves 3-1. The Braves in games against the Nats this season now have out homered the Nats 41-15. That is a staggering disparity. And, you know, it's hard to believe, but the Nats actually led in this game, led after two innings, 2 nothing, and then Mark came the rest of the game on Tuesday night. 
And uh, you name it, everything went wrong. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong for them after that, including our guy, Paolo Espino, really falling apart the second time through the order. And it's not the first time that's happened. I'm sure we'll talk about that. The defense really fell apart in a way that we haven't seen in a while. This has been a very good defensive team here for several weeks now. Pretty much everybody on the infield had a mistake at some point during the latter two-thirds of this game, and that cost them as well. And then a lineup that jumped out to an early lead and had some opportunities to do more completely shut down after that as well. And so, I mean, the final, what, six innings of this game were completely lopsided in the Braves' favor. And, you know, not that it's that surprising at this point. We've seen how good they are compared to the Nationals. But for a game to flip like that, pretty striking because you're thinking early on, hey, this might be one the Nats can hang in there and maybe even get Paolo his win finally. And instead, that was like, you know, hardly a thought by the end of the night they'd have a chance to win this game. The Nats have not been getting blown out in games lately. You know, they're not winning that much, but like the sort of um, the appearance of the losses had improved. These last two games have been blowout losses, you know, 8 nothing, 8-2, outscored 16-2 over the first two games of this three-game series. It was a funny thing to me with Paolo Espino because, you know, we've talked about, hey, he doesn't have an official win this season. He comes out on Tuesday night and he's pitching like a madman. He's pitching like, you know, Max Scherzer used to pitch when he was like super focused, right? Paolo comes out on Tuesday night, begins his outing with three perfect innings with five strikeouts. You're like, who is this guy just dominating the mighty Braves on this uh, late September evening at Nationals Park? But uh, yeah, like we said, then came the rest of the game. So, you know, you have the home run thing, which we've talked about a lot, but I mean, it's still like bears worth mentioning here. Out Homer 3-1 on Tuesday night. The Nats now this season have a National League worst 131 home runs. The Braves now this season have a National League best 233 home runs. The Braves have 102 more home runs than the Nats have. Let that sink in. But you mentioned the defense. I actually feel like that's the more interesting thing to get into here from this game on Tuesday night because the Nats defense has been better these last few weeks. We've certainly talked about that. But man, was there a sloppiness and like an overly casual nature to the Nats defensively in the infield on Tuesday night. So Jordan Weems in the top of the six allowed two runs on three consecutive two-out hits, including a two-out, two-run double by Eddie Rosario off the center field wall on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-2 Braves lead. But how about what preceded that Rosario two-out, two-run double? Third baseman Ildemaro Vargas took way too long to get rid of the ball in throwing to first base on what, upon replay review, was a two-out full-count infield single by Michael Harris II on a sharp grounder to Vargas. And then second baseman Cesar Hernandez took way too long to throw the ball to first base on a two-out infield single off the bat of William Contreras, who hit a grounder up the middle on which Cesar actually made a pretty nice backhanded pick, but then like took forever to get rid of the ball and Contreras ended up being saved. So back-to-back plate appearances that ended in grounders that each you know could have resulted in the third out but did not. And then that Rosario two-run double. And then later in the game, Erasmo Ramirez, top of the eighth, allowed an unearned run. The run was unearned because shortstop C.J. Abrams committed a one-out throwing error, made an errant throw on a grounder off the bat of Michael Harris II on a grounder that was hit right to Abrams behind second base. So Abrams, Vargas, Hernandez, all of them guilty of more or less the same thing in the latter innings of this game, just kind of being way too casual out there and uh, not coming through on their throws. And I think that's the surprising part. You understand they're going to be bad defensive nights 
errors made, bad throws. You'd like them to be errors of aggression, things like that. And this team has played some aggressive defense lately and done a pretty good job at it. The fact that it was, like you said, casual, that's the word I kept thinking to myself as well. I don't know why that was the case. I don't know why these guys were so lackadaisical in their fielding of the ball and setting up to make throws. Like you got to be quicker with that. You've got to have a pace and a tempo to it. And how often do we see that? We see it with Luis Garcia a lot at shortstop. It's a routine play and he takes too much time to set himself up for the throw. And that actually leads to more problems. If you just treat every play like it's going to be a bang, bang play, chances are you're going to get it done and do a much better job of it. And I think for whatever reason, they were treating these like routine plays instead of more bang, bang plays. Maybe because Chad Whitson, the first base umpire, could not get a bang, bang call to save his life. This game, I've never seen that. Three overturned calls by the first base umpire, all of them bang, bang plays. And look, they're hard. I get it. These are really close plays. But at the big league level, you might expect them to get one of them wrong, but to get three of them wrong. And I mean, these were not borderline calls. Like they went to replay and within 30 seconds, they had them all overturned. So that had nothing to do with the defense, but that was such a strikingly bizarre part of this game as well that Chad Whitson had like the worst night of his professional umpiring life over at first base. See, to me, that is why we do need replay. I know not everyone loves replay, but replay does have the ability to take that which is wrong, including that which is egregiously wrong, and make it right. I think what happens a lot with replay is the anti-replayites, you know, they'll point out when replay doesn't work or when it takes too long. And those things do happen. I'm not saying that they don't happen. But what also happens quite a bit is things that really shouldn't be are made not to be thanks to replay. Like imagine if we didn't have replay and all of those calls were allowed to stand on Tuesday night. And, you know, you think about this game. This is a big game for the Braves. The Braves moved into a tie for first place atop the National League East. Now, not that I wouldn't mind seeing the Braves get jobbed by some calls in the midst of a pennant race, but, you know, what's right is right. Replay worked in that regard, to me anyway, on Tuesday night. Yeah, and you know, for the record, I've always said I am pro-replay for the obviously blown calls. It's the nitpicking, did his foot come off the base for a millisecond, let's now spend the next two minutes trying to dissect it. Those are the ones I'm not a fan of, and I, you know, I've said if it was me, I would force the team to ask for the challenge immediately. Don't give them time to go watch a replay of it. So if it's something that in real time they think is wrong, go ahead and challenge it. And now you take your chances of getting it right or not. It's the delay of, well, we're going to look at it. Oh, okay. No, it actually, no, don't review it. That kind of stuff is what I'm against. But yeah, in this case, it obviously worked and it was, you know, the right calls were made. And I think that's why the umpires ultimately are in favor of it because they do want the right calls made. They don't want to have a game in a pennant race decided by their mistake and have that impact who wins the division or not. So I think they support it. But it was pretty bizarre that, I mean, this guy missed all three of them on very similar calls at first base. So with the overly casual nature of the Nats infield in this game on Tuesday night, the obvious thing to throw out there is, well, Nats have the worst record in the majors. We're in the dying days of the season. The Nats have checked out on the season. I have not gotten that sense, though, with this team as this season has gone on. I actually feel like, for the most part, guys have continued to play hard. And the Nats have actually played halfway decently lately. The results don't necessarily bear that out. But as we've talked about these games, the Nats aren't getting shellacked like they had been getting shellacked, you know, up until, I guess, now you have to say these last two games. What do you think was behind the casual nature on Tuesday night? 
if anything was behind it. Maybe it was just one of those nights. But what did Davey Martinez have to say? And, and what do you think was going on here? Yeah, I think they want to just view this as just a weird night that that all happened at the same time, because I agree. I think they have I think their hallmark here has been that they've played hard. The boys have battled through the, the last two months of a season in which, let's be honest, not every team who was already past the 100 loss mark would still be playing as up-tempo and with as much enthusiasm as these guys have. And to their credit, they've really done it all along. Now, maybe you get to a point finally where you've just had your brains beaten in by the Braves a lot and it's you know getting to be a little colder, game's dragging a little bit. You start to feel that a little bit and you get sluggish. Maybe there's something to that. But Vargas is not a guy who generally is casual about things. C.J. Abrams is not. I think this just happened to happen like this. I don't think it's a sign of anything in particular. You do hope they come right back on Wednesday and play a much cleaner game. Even if they lose to the Braves, you want them to play a cleaner game because I do think that has been a big part of the improved play here over the last month. Defense, I think, has been first and foremost at that. I was even looking at this, and at some point I may write about this here, that they're still ranked at the bottom of the league in terms of defensive run saved, but the gap is actually pretty small. They're catching up to a couple teams in front of them. And since the trade deadline, they're playing like at a zero defensive run saved as a team, which is pretty good considering where they were. I think they're at like minus 47 for the year, but they've been right around that same number now for almost two months. So it has been noticeable how much better the defense has been. So I'd like to believe this is just a one-off and not an indication of them throwing the towel in or anything like that. Yeah, for the longest time this season, there was like a chasm between the Nats and the 29th worst defensive team in the majors, between the Nats and the second worst defensive team in the majors this season. Like it wasn't just that the Nats were last, the Nats were dead last in defensive runs saved by like miles throughout the year. So that is significant that that has taken place. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or lock when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2-2. Swing and a tapper off the end of the bat. Espino has it hit off his glove. Deflects toward the first base bag. It's picked up by Hernandez, and they won't have a play. Oh, my. That's a tough break. So with Paolo Espino on Tuesday night, four runs in five innings. Like I said, got off to a great start. Began the outing with three perfect innings with five strikeouts, but then allowed two runs in the top of the fourth and two runs in the top of the fifth. He ultimately, for the game, gave up five hits, two home runs, a triple, and two singles. He did have five strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 72 pitches, 47 strikes versus 25 balls. Paolo, in a Braves two-run fourth, gave up a two-out, two-run triple to Michael Harris the second over Lane Thomas in right field on a one-two pitch to tie the game at two. Paolo, in a Braves two-run fifth, gave up back-to-back two-out solo homers to Orlando Arcia and Ronald Acuna Jr. for a 4-2 Braves lead. You put out the stat, which really is something. Paolo Espino this season, first time through the order, actually pretty good. Second time through the order, not so good. We know about the third time through the order penalty. With our guy Paolo, there apparently is a second time through the order penalty. Yeah, and I think we have to acknowledge this, and this really does explain a lot about the success that he has had in shorter bursts and as a long reliever and occasional starter who doesn't go very deep versus how it goes when he tries to face a lineup more and get through five innings. It really has not gone well, including this game, first time through the lineup, Opponents are hitting only 226 off him with a 665 OPS. That's really good, okay? Especially for a guy who doesn't have a lot of overpowering stuff. But now the second time through the order, those numbers just skyrocket. It's 370 that opponents hit off him the second time through with an OPS of 1,014. That's, you know, beyond MVP numbers. Essentially, the second time through the order, everybody he faces is an MVP candidate or better. So trying to think about this, I mean, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's just, he's just not as good or he's better off as a reliever. And that may be true. But I think also there's something to be said for this. He's a guy who he's got to use all his pitches to get hitters out. He's not going to say, okay, first time through the order, I'm going to focus on my fastball mixing in the occasional curveball and then save something for the next time around. He's kind of got to use it all to get guys out and he's successful using it all. Then you get to the second time through the order, and now they've seen everything he has. And now he's got to try to throw it again and fool them again. And he pointed out that he felt like some of their hitters were maybe ready or looking for certain pitches and certain counts. It didn't mean they were stealing signs or anything like that. He just meant they know the patterns now. They know, okay, he's got a fastball, he's got a curveball, he's got a slider. Okay, when he gets into this count, last time he went with this pitch, so I'm going to look for that again. And so maybe he's a little too predictable Maybe he just doesn't have the arsenal to be able to get hitters out a second time. So I think it's something they have to consider. I understand right now they're kind of stuck with him. And you could say the same about Corey Abbott, who pitched the other night, kind of same boat. They can be good in short bursts. They probably should not be starting right now, but they just don't have enough depth 
of their rotation to do that. I mean, maybe in a perfect world, you combine them and piggyback them and have them count as one start and get five innings out of them. But they just don't have enough healthy and reliably effective starting pitchers to do that. So both these guys are still in the rotation. I tell you, I wouldn't mind seeing the Nats try stuff like that. And, you know, if on some games now you have to do something like start, say, a Yoan Adon or whatever, just to finish out the season, go ahead and do it. I'd like to see the Nats get more creative with things like that. They don't seem to want to do that for whatever reason. And I think with a guy like Paolo, you have to treat him in accordance with these numbers. Like, just because someone is a part of your rotation doesn't mean that you need to handle that person the same way you handle the other four people in your rotation. So, knowing that this is how he is, the expectation in every start for him should be once through the order, and then that's it, okay? And I know that, you know, you don't want a starter to be only be going three or four innings, but if that's what it has to be, then that's what it has to be. I think what has gotten them in trouble with Paolo as a starter is you know, he'll start a game, he'll do reasonably well, and then they leave him in there because they want him to continue to do well, and then he ultimately ends up not doing well. There have been very few Paolo Espino starts this year in which he has ultimately done well. He's had a few, but by and large, these outings all kind of go the same. Five innings, four runs, you know, five and a third innings, three runs. Like, it's been kind of like that with him because of what you just outlined. And I think with a guy like this, you know, it can't be cookie cutter with pitchers. And so with a guy like this, it's pretty clear what he is and what he isn't. This is his age 35 season. He's not changing. Okay, this is what he is. So just kind of accept it and go with that. You know, there's a phrase, I think Bill James may have said it if he did and somebody else did, but it's kind of like, don't harp on what someone isn't, focus on what someone is. And so if you know what someone is, then ride that and maximize that. And so moving forward, and I know some of this is about options, like you just said, but if Paolo is going to start games, then get him out of there once he's once through the lineup. Like, stop trying to force something that just isn't there. Well, especially against a lineup like this. I mean, the Braves have seen him plenty of times. We know how deep and talented they are. It was probably wishful thinking to believe that he could get through that lineup in the fourth and the fifth inning. Now, I will say, and he felt, he made this point. I, I do agree with him on this. There's a play he could have made in the fourth inning. We talked about bad defense. There's a little nubber with two outs and a runner on to his left. And he tries to make the play. Can't pull it off. If he had let it go, he didn't realize that Joey Manessis was behind him. If he lets it go and Manessis fields it, they maybe get out of the inning and maybe that changes the complexion of the whole thing to some extent. So, you know, there are some things that could have been done differently. But broader picture, I gave the numbers. We've seen how this works. It's just who he is. And maybe it's a reason why initially he was being used out of the bullpen. Maybe he is best suited to be a long reliever. That's fine. You can be very valuable in that role. I would hope they get to a point, certainly going into next year, where they don't just think, well, we don't want to bring him back because he's not valuable. He has value. You just have to find the right role for him. And if that means, like you said, piggybacking him with somebody else or letting him start a game, but only going one time through the order, okay, so be it. You just have to have the right pitchers around him to make that all work and understand, like you said, that you treat him differently than maybe you would a uh, Josiah Gray, uh, Kate Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore when they're healthy, those kinds of things. Well, we mentioned the Nats getting out homered on Tuesday night, 3-1. The Nats' lone homer on Tuesday night came off the bat of Victor Robles. Uh, Robles homered on Tuesday night. He went one for three with a solo homer. Robles in the Nats' one-run second inning had a two-out solo home run to left field for a 2-0 Nats lead. The Nats in this game had just six hits, one walk, struck out 11 times, went one for four 
with runners in scoring position. But Robles did homer, and, you know, he has been a bit more productive lately. Now, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, he hasn't been a zero offensively lately, so he's been more productive. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I looked at the numbers the last few weeks. They're still not very good, but by his standards, they're a lot better than what we are accustomed to. So it has been nice to see this. You know, he's had some multi-hit games. He's getting on base a little bit. He's hit some homers here these last few games. He homered again on Tuesday night. You know, I don't think we're at a point that's different from where we've been in recent years with Robles, but I'll give him some credit, and it is nice to see him doing at least something offensively as this season comes to its conclusion. Yeah, and as we've said all along, they don't need him to be an elite offensive player. I mean, you'd love for it to happen, but it's just not at this point. If he could just do enough at the plate, give you some quality at bats, he gets down some good bunts, you know, provides you something at the bottom of the lineup, that can be enough because his defense has actually become, I would say, elite again. And this has gone unnoticed a little bit as well. He is now, he's got 1.7 war on the season, according to baseball reference. And he's doing that because of his defense, which is 1.5 of the war. He's ranked third among all major league center fielders in defensive runs saved now. Michael A. Taylor is number one, by the way. <laughs> Go figure. Victor Robles now number three. He has become really good in center field. And because of that, he has value. And if he just does enough at the plate, doesn't hurt you that much, come through in a few important spots, I do think there is a chance for him to still be a contributor in some way. I don't think he's ever going to be the all-around star player they always thought that he could be, but he doesn't have to be. Kind of like we've talked about over the years, Danny Espinosa. If he just did just a little bit at the plate, the defense is good enough to make up for it. Right now, the defense has been so good for Robles that just a little bit of offense makes him valuable again. Robles for the month of September has an on-base percentage of 280. I mean, that's not good at all. He's slugging 435. That's really not that good. But by his standards, that is a lot better than where he had been at. I mean, for comparison's sake, Robles for the month of August slugged, slugged 209. So that he's, you know, showed some pop here in September has been nice. And, you know, when we talk about next season for the Nats, and so much of this hinges, of course, on the ownership situation, but if the Nats don't get sold or if the Nats get sold to new ownership that doesn't go bonkers in free agency, you know, there's only going to be so much uh, turnover of the roster that you can engage in this offseason. So there are going to be people back who you maybe aren't in love with or who you maybe don't view as like slam dunk long term pieces. And so if Robles shows something down the stretch here, he is still under team control. I guess you say he's part of your mix next year, potentially, you know. Now, I don't think they just hand him the starting center fielder job, but he can at least be part of your outfield mix for next season because you're not just going to bring in a bunch of, you know, 30 new guys on the team next year. Like, it's you know, you're going to have to deal with some of what you already have. Yeah, I think at this point, we can only say that Lane Thomas is assured of uh, being a starter in the outfield next year. Everything else is up in the air. And barring some significant additions, I would say it's probably Robles and Maybe Alex Call at the moment in the lead, at least, going into spring training. I think they'll make some moves. I don't think they're just going to let that sit completely idle. I talked about the need, I, I think, for a some kind of power hitting outfielder, preferably a corner outfielder, and we'll see if they can go and do that, especially if Joey Manessis is their first baseman. But I, you know, there's also a case we made here that if Robert Hassel III, who is a future star, they hope, for this team, if he's going to be ready before the end of 2023, which I think some would hope is the case, then maybe a temporary solution 
at one of the outfield spots isn't the worst thing in the world. And you say Robles starts the year there, but maybe doesn't end the year there if he doesn't earn it. So I don't think he has completely played his way out of their plans. I'll put it that way. Some of that is by his performance. Some of it is just what they have and what we think they're going to do this winter. But I, I don't think, at least at the moment, that they would just cut ties altogether, given that he's still somewhat affordable and still very valuable in the field. Yeah. And the Nats really aren't in a position to be cutting ties with anyone who has any reasonable value. And you have to say Robles does have at least some reasonable value at this point. Good to see Luke Voigt have two doubles on Tuesday night. Uh, He went two for four with an RBI double and another double. So we got a Mackenzie Gore update prior to the game on Tuesday. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, of course, one of the six players who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres for Juan Soto and Josh Bell in the mega trade this past August 2nd. Gore is coming back from elbow inflammation. He on Monday night made his latest minor league rehab outing. The outing did not go well from a standpoint of the results. Six runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, all of them extra base hits, three home runs, a triple, and two doubles. But as we know with these minor league rehab outings, they're not always just about the outcomes of the outings. They're also about kind of the process and how the guy is feeling and how the guy comes out of the outing. So where are we here? This has become quite the drama. Will Mackenzie Gore or won't Mackenzie Gore make a major league start for the Nats before the end of the season? Obviously, time is running out. Uh, What is the latest? So I talked to Gore in the clubhouse on Tuesday. He had just gotten back from Rochester. And I I said to him, like, you know, we see what the final line is, but that's not always reflective of it. So how, how did you feel about it? And he said the first three innings, he really felt good. He felt legitimately good about it. Retired nine of the 10 batters that he faced. The one was a home run, but he was pretty efficient. The pitch count was low, felt good about his velocity, his movement, everything else. He gets to the fourth inning and he admittedly ran out of gas and the results were not pretty at all. A bunch of extra base hits, a couple more homers, and he winds up getting pulled with his pitch count up to 72 at that point. So he's acknowledging that right now, the stamina part of this just has not come as quickly as he thought that it would. He's had four rehab starts now. You'd hope you'd get through five innings by that point. He hasn't gotten there yet. And he acknowledges that the velocity gets down you know, in that last inning and things have not gone as well from that standpoint. But he's healthy. He says the elbow feels great. Those early innings, he feels really good about it. He really does want to pitch. The AAA season actually ends on Wednesday. So there is nowhere else for him to go to make a rehab start. So if they want him pitching again, it's either going to be in a major league game or they shut him down or they give him like a simulated game or something like that. So I think it's going to throw another bullpen session. We'll see. I still feel like they're going to give him a start maybe on Saturday in the doubleheader against the Phillies. And if they go into it and say, hey, you're just going three innings, that's fine. They'll treat it like a sort of modified rehab start, have somebody else ready take over for him after that point and just kind of pull him no matter how it's going. So I think they would all feel like there's value in doing that. I don't think he just wants to shut it down now. He's come this far, might as well make a start, even if it's an abbreviated start. And then you hope now next spring, you have a full six weeks, you build yourself up the way you normally should. And by opening day, he's you know going six innings and 100 pitches and not a big deal. Health-wise, he feels very good. So I think that's the most important thing. It just hasn't come around stamina-wise like he would have hoped it would. If Gore is healthy next spring training, he is in the Nats season opening rotation next year, no questions asked? I can't imagine they're going to have five better options. <laughs> 
than him. Yeah, if he's healthy, I think they will do that. I mean, we've seen that what they've done with Josiah Gray, even at times when he maybe could use more seasoning, he's been out there. He's a building block for them. And I would like to believe, again, health provided, and they'll watch everybody's innings and all that kind of stuff. But I really would like to believe that they will open next year with a rotation that includes Mackenzie Gore, Cade Cavalli, and Josiah Gray. They do need to start getting to a point here where they are putting guys out there who are part of the plan moving forward. You can make adjustments along the way if it looks like they need to go down or need to monitor their innings, anything like that, that's fine. But to open a year with veterans who aren't part of the plan and purposely hold back building blocks, I think they need to move past that at this point, provided that everyone is healthy. Patrick Corbin, Anibal Sanchez, and then we'll see if we get to Gore and Gray and Cavalli. <laughs> now, it's interesting with Gore. I mean, you could argue out of him, Cavalli, and Gray, Gore is the guy with the greatest pedigree or the highest expectations. But Kenzie Gore was the number three pick in the 2017 draft. I mean, he was drafted to be an ace and obviously it would be great if he ends up becoming that for the Nats. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shover's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram too at NatsChatPodcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. Don't forget the first ever Nats Chat Podcast party Friday night, October 14th at 7 at Walters right across the street from Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.